0: Welcome, friends, to Understanding EMDR. I'm your host, Tracy Lynch, and I'm an EMDR consultant, clinical counsellor and psychotherapist. And I begin by paying my respects to all First Nations peoples and our elders, past, present and future. And I'm coming to you today from Newcastle, Australia, on Awabakal land. And on today's podcast, I'm very excited to and honoured to have our very first guest, Caroline Burrows. Welcome, Caroline.
1: Thank you, Tracy. It's lovely to be here. What a privilege to be your first guest.
0: Yeah, it's very exciting. So I first met you, Caroline, when I began my accreditation pathway to become an accredited EMDR practitioner. That's right. And you've
1: come a long way since then. In a relatively short space of time, it's been such a pleasure to support you on
0: that journey. Thank you. So one of uh, my aims in doing this podcast is to build connection, more connection in our community um, and just hold a space to be able to yarn together and deepen our understanding and learnings and to be able to feature people in our community that are uh, passionate about EMDR. It's wonderful. Yeah, so I'd love to be able to start by asking you just to help us to understand a little bit more about you and your practitioner journey. Absolutely. So my background was originally
1: in social work. That was my first degree. So I worked as a social worker for a number of years before deciding that I had a particular interest in working in the mental health field. And that's when I embarked on further training, um, a graduate diploma, and then a master of psychotherapy and counselling. So these days, I'm an accredited mental health social worker and a psychotherapist. These days, though, even more recently, I've been doing less and less clinical work. And I have really shifted my focus professionally to professional training and consultation Mm -hmm. of mental health professionals. So I'm an accredited EMDR trainer, as well as a consultant. And so what that means is that I have the privilege of providing both basic and advanced training to mental health professionals who would like to learn EMDR therapy and then to extend Mm -hmm. upon their basic training. And I also provide consultation, so professional mentoring and support to those therapists who have done their EMDR training. So in terms of my professional journey as a therapist, I Mm. completed my social work training about 17 years ago and it's quite remarkable how fast the years have (laughs) flown. My Mm. early years were spent working in really pretty, pretty, you know, frontline workers, a social mm. worker, family services, working a lot with child protection referred families. And that really gave me a, a very, you know, wide breadth of exposure to family violence, to drug and alcohol, mental health. Mm child mm. protection, parenting. I was providing parenting support to families when I was 21. I yeah. still remember driving families around in a work fleet car uh, when yeah. I was on my P's and I still to this <laughs> day feel a bit humble but I remember that. Mm-hmm. So I started young. I, I came straight from yeah. high school to being a social worker. As I yep. mentioned earlier though, quite, quite soon I realised that the mental health side of things was the area that really interested me mm-hmm. and that was both from some past lived experience and 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 mm-hmm. other things that really interested me around mental health but also the fact that these families I was working with I just had enormous empathy particularly for parents who were struggling so much to do best that they could really they mm-hmm. were doing everything that they could to mm-hmm. get for their kids but it was really their own trauma and their own mental health difficulties that made that really mm-hmm. difficult and that seemed to be very intergenerational and very entrenched and I really wanted to mm-hmm. support people to overcome yeah. trauma and to be um, able to overcome difficulties with their mental health So yeah. really that led me down a path of psychotherapy training
0: Okay. So such such a broad base of experience from a young age. Um, how do you think that has all of that rich experience has built into the trainer and the therapist you are today?
1: Look, I think that I have a lot of capacity to empathize with people. And I, I like to think that I'm not a judgmental person, that I have a capacity mm-hmm. to be compassionate and open-minded. and mm-hmm. I think that I have, as I said before, had an exposure to a wide range of different types of clients and different types of difficulties that people experience. And so that's really, yep. I hope, enabled me to be able to to um, really feel that I have at least some capacity to connect with people who yeah. might be struggling with different issues, even though I may not have personally experienced all of them myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, resonate with you. I did. I started my first youth work position in a crisis refuge when I was the, you know, the the, the wise old age of nineteen, and um, my clients were about two years younger than me. Um, so I, 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 that story of driving people around in your peas, I'm like, yep. <laughs> Yeah. So you mentioned just then, you mentioned that you are now a trainer and a consultant, and you mentioned that you train people in uh, EMDR in uh, basic training and advanced training. Can you just help our listeners to understand the difference between the different levels of training
1: For a therapist to start to practice EMDR with their clients, they really ought to. There's no law against practicing it when you've just read it in a book. But certainly, um, ethically, it would be most appropriate to embark on um, an accredited training in Australia or or overseas if that's where they're located. And that Mm -hmm. basic training is typically delivered in two parts. Every training organization might do it slightly differently, but usually that involves one part of training and then going and starting to implement the basic foundational skills with clients. In terms of what I train, it's a three day workshop for that part mm-hmm. one training. And then, usually within six to 12 months, embarking on a second level of training, which in my case is another three day workshop. Mm-hmm the requirements of the EMDR Association of Australia are that that needs to take place within two years, the part one and part two training. So there's a bit of flexibility of when that second workshop is is undertaken. The third component of the basic EMDR training program, in addition to a part one and a part two workshop, is what we call consultation. So 10 hours of professional consultation or clinical supervision, but with a specific focus on EMDR skills with an accredited EMDR consultant. So all of that comprises what we call the basic EMDR training program, part Mm -hmm. one, part two, and 10 hours of consultation. In other words, it's 20 hours of didactic teaching, 20 hours of practicum. So both of those take place in the workshops and 10 hours of consultation. So yeah. the 50 hour workshop, um, sorry, training program that is delivered a slightly differently depending on the trainer. So that's the basic EMDR training program. And I think it's helpful for your listeners to know that you can start using EMDR in your clinical work after the first workshop. You don't need to after wait until- the first until- weekend- yeah, Correct. and you don't have to wait till you've completed all of that, um, all the components of the basic training in order to start using to it. To get but it started, does build upon yep. what you learned yep. initially.
0: And that's you, great. You mentioned mm, also my.
1: Oh, sorry, mm. Tracy. You mentioned also my advanced um, workshops and training as well. Mm-hmm. So really, beyond the basic EMDR training program, there's opportunity for EMDR therapists to go on to do extensive additional training, and usually what that involves, I think, is learning how to apply EMDR therapy with different clinical populations, whether that be if someone's working in the drug and alcohol space or um, eating disorders or with dissociative disorders. So there's lots of additional either webinars, on-demand training, or other advanced workshops or conferences that therapists can attend.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you. That's really helpful to hear you understand, uh, to explain it that way, because I feel like when people are entering the EMDR space, it's almost like there's this new language to learn, isn't there? Um, there's a new language around all the sort of standard protocols, um, but uh, the runs of the ladder in terms of uh, accreditation. Uh, and then, like you said, you, you there's I've been to a number of your advanced trainings where we sort of branch off and are able to look at how we can apply EMDR to all different types of of clients that we're working with. So that's great. So thank you. So all those years ago uh, when you did your EMDR training, um, do you remember back then what you struggled with the most? What was what what was what was the most challenging thing for you? It
1: might sound really simple, but I actually found just some of the logistics around working in a more structured format to be quite But quite a challenge, really. I mean, simple things like even what sort of chairs to sit in in my therapy room, because when you're doing the reprocessing of a memory with eye movements, you need to sit closer to the client than you typically would. And I had these big, cumbersome armchairs in my counselling room that were not really conducive to shuffling forward so even simple things like what sort of chairs to sit in that was something that I just had to kind of get myself kind of thinking uh, strategically or creatively about I think also it was about for me getting confident to try something that was Less well known back then than it is now. So I trained in EMDR therapy more than 10 years ago. And whilst it had been around for years prior, it really wasn't very mainstream in Australia at that time. And I still remember when I told a number of colleagues that I was doing this training, them Having a bit of a laugh because they thought that it was a bit of woo woo, you know, while yep. they, you know, moving your fingers in front of someone's eyes. And I just remember feeling just a bit self conscious when introducing it to clients and feeling a bit silly and, 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 and feeling like I was needing to almost justify it somehow. So for me, it was yep. almost just getting in the flow of being okay to try something different, to try something new and to trust the process. I think yep. also at that time, I was working in a sexual assault counselling service and I was working with very complex developmental trauma. And so when mm-hmm. I started applying my new EMDR skills after the first workshop, I really felt that the level of complexity of my clients was, was greater, I guess, than, than the basic skills I had learned at that point. So there was a little bit of a, a period between my first level of training and my second level mm-hmm. where I felt that I was just struggling a little bit with my confidence to to dive in because I was concerned about causing harm.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what did you end up doing about your chair situation firstly? What did you come up with there?
1: What I came up with there was I had a wheelie really chair for myself that essentially I would just have sitting nearby and I just had to essentially just suck it up and just say to the client, I'm just going to hop in my other chair and sort of, you know wheel over essentially the client stayed in their nice comfy armchair and I found once I kind of just did that a few times it wasn't a big deal at all I think for 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 many people it's about just being willing to try something new and almost you know make a little bit of fun out of it you know this might seem a bit new and a bit curious and shall we just give something a go what is there to lose and I think when I really just leaned into it and didn't feel like it had to be all polished and perfect that we could have a bit of a a bit of a laugh about my arm moving and how that was a bit of quirky particularly back then because EMDR wasn't nearly as widely known and so people weren't coming to my therapy sessions asking for it the way that they often do now so that was what I did about the chair situation and that was very quickly not a problem.
0: Yeah, that's great. I've got a little stool on wheels. So the same thing sort of comes out and um, it's interesting, isn't it? I think the more comfortable we are with trying new things, uh, it, it it provides a space where clients can sort of step in to experimenting and being willing to, to give things a go. So um, you also raised that you noticed that the client population that you were working with potentially some of those skills when you had just done that weekend work, one workshop didn't quite stretch. And I'm interested now in asking you another question: as a trainer, a consultant, what do you see new uh, practitioners struggling with the most? What 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 do you what do you see there? Is there any common themes? Hmm. Well, I think what I
1: shared with you around that difficulty I think is a common one that there's this misnomer I think that you know private practice we see worry well clients whilst there may well be clients of different level of complexity certainly the feedback I hear is that most clinicians feel that they're working with clients who do have complex experiences. They may not have complex PTSD, for example, but certainly feeling like there is a bit of difficulty about knowing where to start and what to even reprocess, what memories to target and in what order. So I think that's a pretty common one that often comes up. Similar to my feeling a little bit self-conscious around how different this structure of an EMDR desensitisation session might be. I've certainly heard feedback that some clinicians do feel that it can be a little bit jarring to go from one way of working with clients for example using an ACT framework or working in a psychodynamic way to then having a more manualized structured way of working that can just feel Mm. a bit different and it can feel almost a little bit uncomfortable to know quite how to seamlessly integrate that into clinical work without it being a bit of a a bit of a jarring experience for the client yeah even just emdr explanations can be challenging knowing how to even introduce it to clients how to go about presenting it in a way that is likely to get the client interested and on board Mm -hmm. Sometimes mismatched expectations, I think, can come up. So, for example, Mm -hmm. these days I think a lot of clinicians are seeking training in EMDR therapy because they already have clients that are asking to try it and the clinician doesn't yet have those skills. I think another common challenge that can come up is mismatched expectations. So these days I think clients are hearing about EMDR through the media, Prince Harry talking to Oprah about it, for example, and maybe coming seeking EMDR or their referrers, their doctor, for example, may refer them. And that's both a wonderful thing and it can also present some challenges. I've heard feedback from some new EMDR therapists that there can be some Difficulty with meeting client expectations. So a client may expect that they can dive in and reprocess their trauma straight away, even in the first session. And so I think yep. sometimes just being able to navigate some of those expectations, both with clients and referrers, can be important so that the clinician doesn't feel rushed and pressured to inappropriately rush into reprocessing the client's trauma. Yeah, and, okay. And,
0: and, Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, you know, a lot of these things that you're raising, the beauty of some of that process of going into groups, consultation groups, uh, is it's a really good place to sort of flesh all of this out. Um, So, You've raised a few different things. I'm just wondering if we could just stay with that issue of knowing where to start. And it would seem that there potentially is a few different pathways. That there's not just one right answer. But if your um, if your uh, trainees uh, came to you and said, "You know, there's all this going on. Where do I start? How would you typically answer that question?"
1: Mm. I think I would start just as you have by saying that there are different ways to get there and that it's a bit of choose your own adventure sometimes. So, really, just really letting go of pressure to get it perfect. I think that's a really important starting place. I would typically then say to the person, look, I think it's about coming back to your understanding of the client. So, your formulation or your case conceptualization, and ultimately just Really keeping in mind, why is the client in therapy at this time? If we've been working with someone for a long time, we may have lost our way with that a little bit. It may have just become a big complex puzzle that we're working through. So I often suggest that people start broadly. So I almost imagine like an inverted pyramid. So if we imagine at the top of the widest part of the pyramid, start broadly. Why is this person in therapy? What are they wanting to achieve? Then narrowing it down just a little. So imagine going one rung down an inverted pyramid, narrowing to all of those issues that the person is concerned about and bring them to therapy. Which of those is the top priority at this time? Mm-hmm. They are likely intertwined, all the issues, but let's try to determine what is the key focus for this episode of care. Where's, right their, where's their
0: highest level of motivation to get change potentially? Correct. And
1: then considering that top priority, what sort of core belief or negative cognition, as we call it in EMDR, seems to be fueling that issue? It might be, I'm not safe. It might be, I'm not good enough. Then narrowing a little further, if you imagine going one run down further on that inverted pyramid, we've got why they're in therapy of those issues, what's the top priority and the core belief underpinning it, and then of the client's experiences, adverse or painful or traumatic events in their life, Mm -hmm. and in EMDR, we might do a timeline or a top 10 list of what they are, which events seem to be relevant to that issue? and that core negative belief, because for me, it's all about relevance. There's no point processing a client's childhood traumas really just because they're probably traumatic. It's really about why are they in therapy? Why now? And what's the top priority? And then really, in terms of narrowing to the pointiest end of the inverted pyramid, once we've got clarity on which experiences in that client's past Years, their childhood, their adolescence, or in adulthood that are relevant to that key issue, which might be the best starting point? Typically, it's first or worst, so the earliest or the worst, as in the most disturbing, most distressing, most impactful. If a client is not robust enough or willing to do either of those, perhaps a recent experience might be an alternative. And then finally, in the pointiest part of the pyramid, once we've got that starting point and we've prepared the client, we activate that memory and we reprocess it.
0: Mm, Thank you. That's great. I love a good metaphor. So I've just collected another one for my metaphor toolbox, the pyramid, which is awesome. And it really does help us to you know, narrow down on that target selection. And I I I, I agree with you, a lot of my clients, um, they come with a real hope in mind. And so if I'm able to understand their hope, how they want to feel different, how they want to act different, and match my target selection to that, it feels like they're going to be a lot more engaged in the process. And that's that real client-centered work, isn't it? So I, yeah I agree and it's also about the client being
1: motivated
0: the client feeling understood
1: and ultimately the clinical outcomes being relevant to their therapeutic goals.
0: Yep. Yep, and then I also really really resonated with that the pointiest end of the pyramid pyramid around the activation. Um and, you know, really making sure that we're working with the part of the client that is holding the unprocessed trauma rather than the reporter part. Yeah. So that's great. Thank, thank you for that. Um, okay. So we're, we're starting to move to the end of our very first podcast, although I could talk with you all day, Caroline Burrows, which I have been known to have a crack at, but I did you know you're a busy woman so um I wanted to ask you to help us to understand what your sense of the AIP model is because you know it 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 seems from from where I sit, that when we're first starting out on our EMDR journey, we're really trying to understand standard protocol. So really get the map of standard protocol clear, and we can then find other maps that match us well, but we want to start with the standard protocol. And we also need to have a really good understanding of the AIP model. Yeah. So, um, Give us, give us the Caroline Barrows take on the AIP model. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think that is
1: really foundational to understanding the key tenets of EMDR. So the AIP model stands for the Adaptive Information Processing Model. This is the underpinning model that is so important to our understanding of why, why we do what we do in EMDR therapy. So the starting point that I find most helpful is the idea that the brain has an innate capacity toward adaptive resolution or toward healing, in other words. Mm-hmm. and I love that, you know, the idea that we as human beings inherently have the ability to heal. The challenge can be that when we experience painful, adverse or traumatic experiences that overwhelm our brain and body's capacity to cope, that natural innate capacity to heal can get interrupted. And as a result, the experience that we had, the smells, the sounds, the feelings in our bodies, the all of the components of that event can get stuck. And we know from the neurobiology of trauma, that that involves things like the amygdala, so that fear centre in our brain, the hippocampus, the part of our brain that normally puts a time and date stamp on a memory, those things can get impacted, which means that the memory doesn't get fully processed and integrated into the, say, the life narrative or the long-term filing cabinet of the brain. And as a result... It continues to have an impact long after it's over and so that could be anything from flashbacks nightmares to a low self concept the way we see ourselves and so that in the AIP model is the basis for psychopathology so the basis for why it is that we experience mental health conditions addictions eating disorders and a range of other clinical issues so Mm -hmm. From that standpoint, that's what we are dealing with in EMDR therapy. We're both wanting to tap into the client's innate adaptive information processing capacity and also to activate the brain in a way that helps to facilitate kick-starting and getting back up and running that natural ability that has gotten interrupted. And that's where the bilateral stimulation and the framework in the EMDR model helps.
0: Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. Um, it, it really is good news, isn't it, that we have this innate healing wisdom within us. Um, I don't know if you've recently uh, heard that, that one of the most recent Notice That podcasts, they explained the metaphor of the river, mm-hmm. that it's almost like we've got this sort of river within us that can flow quite well. But we can have incidents that are almost like boulders or rocks that fall into the river and start to get in the way of that natural flow, and the EMDR helps to metabolize and dissolve those those boulders and rocks. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's it's and it's really crucial that we understand that process um, as a part of our EMDR sort of framework, isn't it?
1: I agree because as an EMDR therapist, we're not just looking toward what does the client want less of, i.e., reprocessing maladaptively stored traumatic memories. We're also wanting to identify what do they need more of, which is the adaptive information. And that's why things like resourcing is so important in EMDR therapy. And that using the AIP model really is our underpinning framework for case formulation. We're looking toward where is there evidence of adaptive information processing for this client? And where has there been essentially sort of interruptions to their adaptive information processing? Because Mm. that will, help us determine how much preparation, resourcing and adaptive information um, building do they need through phase two in EMDR therapy? And what will we target with respect to the maladaptive memories or experiences that we need to address?
0: Yeah, great. Thank you. Okay. So I'm really interested to understand more about what sustains you in your work and what. Is invigorating for you?
1: Well, it's interesting as I've been reflecting on preparing for this conversation, I've been considering how the things that invigorate me have changed over the years. In my earlier years, as a therapist, it was the client work that I felt invigorated me. It was a sense of the deep privilege of being led into, you know, such vulnerable and intimate places in a client's heart and life and and their experience. And I've shifted now into a new chapter in my professional journey where really what is feeling the most invigorating for me now is my work as a trainer and as a consultant. I feel like as part of my longevity in this mm-hmm. field, I've actually needed to make a shift toward diversifying my work And so I do a lot less clinical work these days than I used to. And that's been essential for me in terms of longevity and sustainability. So what invigorates me and sustains me these days is firstly having diversity in my work. I used to just do client work. And I don't personally feel that I could continue to do that for too, too, too long because I felt that for my own well-being and also just my own challenges that I wanted to embark on and learning, uh, that it was great mm-hmm. to diversify. So now having other things that I do, such as training, um, what really invigorates me, I think, is having the opportunity to train the next generation of Amdr therapists. I feel like that is a, a profound privilege. I -hmm. also feel that mentoring and supporting EMDR therapists to build confidence and to embed the learning, the principles from their training into clinical practice and to see wonderful outcomes, that is truly rewarding. And I think what Mm -hmm. it helps me to feel is this sense that I am having Real impact, even though I may not be doing nearly as much work directly with clients these days, Mm -hmm. that actually by mentoring and empowering and supporting EMDR therapists and teaching them how to do this method, that actually the reach I can have through them providing Mm -hmm. great therapy outcomes to however many tens or hundreds of clients, and that has a ripple effect in those clients' families and lives. I mean, It's very, very profound and exciting uh, to think um, of the the hundreds of EMDR therapists that I'm impacting and therefore the thousands of clients that they are impacting. I mean, what a a joy.
0: Yeah. And I just want to, you know, from firsthand experience say what a great teacher you are and the warmth that you offer your students and the encouragement um, is really making a difference And it's really part of this system, isn't it, that we're able to sort of pass that baton on to that to to new therapists that are coming through, and um, yeah, and it's a it's an exciting sort of wave, and it's is an exciting movement that is that's building EMDR.
1: I really agree. And and I think that because it is now more mainstream, as it were, and also it's more recently been approved by Medicare as a focused psychological strategy, that means now doctors are hearing more about it. It's just it's out there and there's a real buzz around it. And it's not just a fad, though. It is a highly effective and it's an evidence-based therapy. And I just think it's a wonderful time to be an EMDR therapist. And yeah. I've worked toward being a trainer for the last 10 years and um, I couldn't think of anything better than yeah. having this yeah. opportunity to really talk about my favorite professional topic most days of the week
0: <laughs> that's great great okay so part of uh this this journey of passing the baton if you like is a little segment segment that we have in this podcast which is called the message stick so the message stick is about potentially passing on uh your your network, someone in your network or someone that you know that you think would be a great guest on the show and potentially introducing me to them. So who do you think would be a great guest to have on Understanding EMDR?
1: Well, the name that's come to mind is somebody called Nadine van der Linden. She's located in Western Australia. I had the pleasure of meeting her in person just this last week. She was in Melbourne for a conference. It was a great thrill to meet her. And the reason why I think she could be a wonderful guest is she is an EMDR consultant and she is also a highly experienced schema therapist as well. And what she is really focusing on in her particular niche of training and consultancy is the integration of EMDR therapy and schema therapy because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of therapists do train in both and would really benefit from that. Nadine is also extremely skilled at working with parts, so a client's ego states. She integrates mm-hmm. that beautifully, and she also has a real passion for the polyvagal theory and how that mm. also integrates. So I just think Nadine
0: is, is a wonderful trainer and consultant who would have a lot to share with you and your listeners. Great, thank you. Well, Nadine, I'm coming. I'm coming for you, sis. So, um, I will track track her down with potentially your uh your invitation to our podcast. So, Caroline, thank you so much for being our very first guest on Understanding EMDR. And our listeners can uh, get in touch with you via the show notes. We're going to put your websites in there, and that way they'll be able to find out about your upcoming training accreditation consultation groups and connect with you again so thank you so much for joining thank us you. today
1: thank you for having me
0: tracy it's been lovely thank you so thank you for being with us today on understanding emdr feel free to reach out to our guests via the show notes or myself tracy lynch via tracylynch.com.au sending you warmth kindness and understanding bye for now tracy